We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. You can take your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. We will get there in just a few minutes. And I want to talk to you this morning about the power of His name. The power of the name of Jesus. The Psalms this morning reflected that. We are influenced by it in our worship. But I think we should be influenced by the power of His name every day of our lives. Every moment of our being, we should be conscious and cognizant of the fact that we serve a risen Savior who has conquered hell, death, and the grave. And no matter what confronts us in this life, we are victors through the power in His name. Can you say amen? We need to understand the power that's in that name. You know those folks, those children out there in the heart gallery, they're there and they're posted because they're looking for a new name. And a new name will affect their destiny. It will affect their future. It'll affect their outcomes in life, that new name. They're there because they need to be adopted. They're there because they have been, in one way or another, rejected by family. And they need a new family to take them in and to love them. The power that's in a name. I want you to think about that this morning and consider it as we move through this message. We need to understand names are really about our identity. Who we are, it speaks to who we are. And when we're in Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus speaks to our identity as believers. And it speaks to who our allegiance and our alliance is to and our hope and our faith is placed in. And when we put our faith in Jesus and when we name his name as our Lord and as our Savior, then we're recognizing him, recognizing him as the ultimate authority over planet earth and over my life. Matter of fact, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, something happens on the inside that changes the outside. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you name his name as your Lord and as your Savior, you receive the power of his blood that cleanses and forgives and liberates. And you receive a new spiritual man. What does the scripture say? And we talked about this in the series Transformation. And I was thinking this morning we probably need to play that video about every other week to remind us it's about transformation. So thankful for Mercy Me doing that song. I love that video. But we are a new creation. The King James uses the word in Second uh, Corinthians 5.17, we're new creatures. But I like creation. It speaks of a whole new being. And when we accept Jesus as our Savior, there's a whole new creation inside of us. I could say it this way, he really changes our spiritual DNA. And he brings us to life and gives us hope when we name his name as our Lord and our Savior. And the good news is, it doesn't matter who you are or where you came from. The grace of Jesus Christ does not define your past, it liberates your past and gives you a new hope and a new future. I've got a friend whose name is Maury Davis. He pastors Cornerstone Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Maury hasn't always been a pastor. Matter of fact, as a teen, he was extremely rebellious and constant trouble, so much so that his parents sent him to a military academy, hoping they could straighten him out through his high school years. He graduated at 18 year old, years old and came back to Fort Worth, and within two weeks, he was in more trouble than he'd ever been in, in his life. He'd scheduled an appointment with a realtor to look at a house to rent, only he didn't want to rent the house, he wanted to create murder and mayhem. And in that appointment, he took that realtor's life. 
Within 24 hours, he'd been arrested. He was sitting in the Tarrant County Jail. It was all over the headlines. I have another friend whose name is Don George, who pastored in Dallas at that time. Don read about Maury in the newspaper, and God said, you need to go see that boy. Listen, when the Spirit of God speaks to you, you need to obey. It may not make sense to you, but it just could be that he's wanting you to be the ambassador who brings the power of the name of Jesus to someone else. So Don made an appointment. He got into the jail to see Maury. Maury was hardened. He had wanted nothing to do with God, but Don just kept going back week after week after week. And over a period of time, that hard case began to come off, and he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. That was a great thing because someone had been ransomed and redeemed by the power of Jesus' name. He was still sentenced as well he should have been for his crime. He spent eight years in uh, Huntsville in the state prison in Texas. And when he was actually released, he was released amazingly without parole, without probation, just released. And it happened because the eight years he was in that prison, something had happened inside of him, and he began to witness and testify and lead Bible studies, and he started a church in that prison among the inmates, and hundreds of men came to know Jesus because of Maury Davis. But it all went back to one guy, Don George, being willing to go where he didn't want to go, to talk to someone he didn't want to talk to, and share the fact that there is power in the name of Jesus. I've come to tell you this morning, there is power in the name of Jesus. Power to forgive, power to transform, power to change you and I on a regular, daily basis. I think some of us need to change our names. Would you roll that PowerPoint for me, please, Donna, so uh, we can see what's going on there? I put together some pictures, and I want you to see that some of us need to change our names. It'll be up in just a second, I'm confident. There we go. Nope, that's not it. Don't you love technology? It's your friend or your enemy, one or the other. I may just have to do this off my memory. Here we go. Meet Dr. Hurt. I guarantee you, I'm not going to that doctor. That dude needs to change his name. Or how about a neurologist named Lord Brain? Whoops, there we went back one more. Let's go ahead and let it roll, please. Lord Brain. Then we go on to the next one, and we see that uh, there's a lot of interesting names. How about going to the Hardy Har wedding? That's something else, isn't it? Somebody needs to change their name. Or the Looney Ward wedding. Somebody needs to change their name. Or how about Dr. Joelle Roller Coaster? I think she needs to change her name as well, don't you? Or how about the McDonald Burger merger? That's pretty interesting as well. Or one of my favorites, Filet Mignon, can be your marketing executive. That guy needs to change her name. Or Mr. Purr's fifth grade class. He needs to go to the courthouse today. My favorite, sue you for an attorney. I love that. Some of us need to change our names. But the good news is, no matter what mom or dad calls you, when you come to Jesus Christ, he calls you by a new name. He calls you forgiven. He calls you redeemed. Matter of fact, Revelation 2.17 says, And I will give him a white stone. And on the stone a new name is written, which no one knows except him who receives it. 
I am so glad that you may have been called life or thief or adulterer, but today you're called forgiven. You're called redeemed. You're called son and daughter of the Most High God. I love Cheryl Mike. Every time she sends me an email or a text, she signs it, daughter of the king. She knows who she is and has allowed God to change her name. Somebody should understand it's wonderful when God changes our name. Galatians 4.17, the scripture says, no more are you a servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. When we come to Jesus, he gives us a new name and a new identity. The Bible really teaches us there's power in the name of Jesus. But what exactly does that mean? Does that mean I can use the name of Jesus to get anything I want at any time I desire? Does it mean I can use the name of Jesus to manipulate God or to cause God to do something for me that I want done? How does that relate to prayer? How does that relate to eternal life? What exactly is the power that's in the name of Jesus? I believe the most important name ever spoken on planet earth is the name of Jesus. What did the angel say to Joseph? Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name of Christ is so important, and there is immeasurable power in the name of Jesus. So look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, our text. It talks about the power that's in the name of Jesus. The Bible says, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Where is the name of Jesus? It's above every name. It's above every name on planet earth. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. Can you imagine that scene with me? That one day, God's going to say, it's time. And when he says it's time, then every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, listen to me, friend. I don't think there's going to be an angel at the back of the crowd slapping you in the back of the head if you don't bow. I think there's such power in that name that on that day and at that time, you will have no choice but to bow to his authority, bow to his supremacy, bow to his kingship, bow to his lordship and acknowledge he is King of kings and Lord of lords. There is power in the name of Jesus. Let me ask you, if all of creation in heaven and in earth will bow to the name of Jesus, then why do we think our piddly little problems aren't subjected to that power? Oh, it's time to know that no matter what I face, no matter what I encounter, no matter how rough the road may be that I'm walking, there is still power in the name of Jesus that enables me to say, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, and I will exalt him as my Lord and Savior. Oh, come on, folks, understand the power that's in that verse of Scripture and what it means to you and I today. When I picture that scene in my mind, some of us are going to bow because we love him, because we love that name, because we've experienced him, because we know there is no other like Jesus Christ. He has saved us and redeemed us and rescued us. He has taken us out of the mire clay and put our feet on a rock to stay. He's cleaned us up. He's washed us off. He's given us a new hope and a new name and a new eternity. And we love the name of Jesus. 
Hallelujah. I'm more excited about this than y'all are. That's okay. I'm going to preach it anyway. Amen. We need to understand there's power in the name of Jesus. Some of us will bow because we love him. Some of us will bow because we are forced to by the power of his name. I don't know about you, but I want to be those who, one of those who love him and bow because of his authority and his presence in my life, not out of fear of who he is. So when I think about the power of the name of Jesus, I have to ask, is there really a difference? Does Jesus really make a difference in our lives? It's a very fair question. Because a lot of things are in Christianity. A lot of things are disguised as gospel that really don't have a lot to do with Jesus Christ. So does the name of Jesus really make a difference? Well, it does if you're a believer because it connects you to his identity. It connects you to his identity. We need to understand that and get it in our spirit. John 14, 13 and 14 says it this way. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now that's a powerful promise. And it's powerful because it connects us to his identity. Let me take that a step further. It connects us to his mission and to his purpose. Why did Jesus come to planet earth? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to ransom and redeem. He came to rescue those who were bound by the enemy and had no hope for tomorrow. Jesus came with a purpose and with a mission. Let me say something here, and you need to hear it and understand it. Too many folks in the church are distracted by this election. Distracted so much to the point that we have forgotten our mission. Our mission is not to elect a president of the United States. Our mission is to take the name of Jesus Christ to those who have never heard. Do you know and understand that 10,000 people every hour perish into a devil's hell because they've never known the power of Jesus' name? It's time for the church to refocus, to understand we have a mission. And if we identify with Christ, our mission is to take the good news of the gospel to those who have never heard. We cannot be distracted. We can't allow the urgency of the hour to remove us from what's important. And what's important is bringing people into the kingdom of God. Oh, somebody, you need to hear that. You need to get it in your spirit. You need to refocus your mind and understand God has called you as a believer to take good news to the world. And that world may be in your own home. That world may be next door. That world may be your coworkers that you're sharing an office with. That world may be someone you meet in a mall. I was thrilled the other day when someone told me we were, we were at my favorite restaurant, Whataburger. They're in Whataburger, man, that's, that's God, you know. They're in Whataburger and the lady went to the restroom and there was a lady in there crying her eyes out. And she stopped, she talked to her, she prayed with her. This lady had just buried her fiance. She was hurting. And God sent someone from this church to put their arms around her and let her know there's hope even after the graveyard. Oh, come on, church. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to be that vessel that says, whenever, wherever I am, use me to bring good news to those that are hurting and hopeless and bound by the enemy. Oh, I believe the name of Jesus does make a difference. I believe the name of Jesus does make a difference. However, the name of Jesus isn't some genie in a bottle. The name of Jesus isn't magic or voodoo. 
The name of Jesus isn't something you can throw out there just to get what you want. God, I really need a new Ford truck in the name of Jesus. God, I really want a bigger house in the name of Jesus. God, I'd really like to have a Rolex in the name of Jesus. See, we kind of tag that to our desires and think somehow God's going to respond. Can I tell you, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. You can't just throw up a prayer and then add the name of Jesus and think it's going to come to pass. Not the way it works. Why? Because when we identify with him, we identify with his mission and we identify with his purpose. And it really has nothing to do with cars and bank accounts and jewelry. It has to do with winning people into the kingdom of God and seeing them change for all of eternity. I can almost hear God. God, I need a new car in the name of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, he was right there, almost ready. Now I'm not going to do that. Come on, folks, get past that kindergarten theology. Recognize that Jesus Christ saved you to give you an eternity with him. He died so your sins could be forgiven. Quit trivializing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And allow the power of that name to become effective in your heart and in your life. People have been taught that, and as a result, they're disappointed in the Scripture. They say, well, I tried what you said, and it just doesn't work. Well, maybe you didn't try it the right way. See, there is power in the name of Jesus, but it causes us to identify with him. It causes his mission to become our mission, his purpose to become our purpose. And then when we identify with him, his identity should be reflected in us. Did you hear what I said? His identity should be reflected in us. It should reflect our behaviors. It should reflect our attitudes. It should reflect our prayer life. It should reflect our eternity. So let's get right down to where the rubber meets the road. One of the things we need to learn in Christianity is if we're going to name the name of Jesus Christ, then we need to act like Jesus Christ. We identify with him. You see, one of the biggest problems in the church and if you're not a part of the church, just close your ears. I'm talking to folks that are. Is that we don't know how to forgive anymore. Someone offends you and you carry that offense the rest of your life. Shame on you. Someone says something you don't like and you beat a line to the front door. And this is what you say. I don't like that. I don't agree with that. And I'm never going back. Shame on you. Oh, come on, church. You and I need to understand when my family offends me, I'm going to forgive them. When this family offends me, I'm going to forgive them. When someone offends me, I'm not going to carry that around as a badge of honor. But rather, I'm going to shuck it off. And I'm going to forgive because that's what Jesus Christ has done for me. What does Matthew 6, 11 say? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive those, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sins against, sin against us. Do you understand that there is a cause and an effect in that scripture? And the cause and the effect is if you fail to forgive, that's what's happening from the Father to you. If you want the forgiveness of God, you've got to be able to lay down the offense. You've got to bury it in an unmarked grave. Don't go back and visit it again. Don't be whining and moaning and groaning and complaining to all your friends and family about what they did to me. Leave it, forgive them, and move on. Someone said, how do I know when I've forgiven someone? Well, it's real easy. 
You see, we don't have the ability to forgive and forget. Thank God God does. Amen? He forgives and forgets. We don't possess that trait. But we know we've forgiven someone when we can look back at that offense and not feel the pain from the offense. When we can see that person and not want to turn and run the other way. When we can walk up to them and give them a great big hug and say, I love you in Jesus Christ without thinking under our breath, but if I had a knife, I'd drive it through your back right now. Come on. When you can remember the incident without feeling the pain, you know you've forgiven them. You know that that scripture's at work in your life. Jesus and his disciples were having a discussion. I believe it's in Matthew uh, 18. Matthew 18. And they're talking about forgiveness. And Peter said, well, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother if he offends me? How about a good godly number? Seven. The number of completion. The number of God. How about seven times a day? Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes seven times a day is a stretch for me. Say amen. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to forgive somebody repeatedly. But Jesus said, your bar is not nearly high enough. You don't understand the gospel. Oh, come on, folks, hear this. You need to get it in your spirit, for with the same measure you meet, it will be measured to you. You need to understand, Jesus said, not seven times a day, but 70 times seven every day you forgive that person for that offense. Oh, come on, folks, it's time to embody, to identify, to reflect the name of Jesus Christ in our lives. That begins with forgiveness. It begins by understanding we're a part of a fallen world and a fallen humanity. It begins by understanding that you're not perfect and neither am I. And that as long as we're living and breathing air and walking in shoe leather, there will be offense. It's just going to happen. Listen, if you're looking for a church this morning, let me tell you right now, this one isn't perfect. We're not even close to it. And if you're looking for a place where you can be, where you can be assured you'll never be offended, this isn't the place. We're not even close to it. Matter of fact, I guarantee you, if you're here more than two Sundays, I'll say something to offend you. Just write it down. It's going to happen. Just the way it is. But the good news is, when we choose to live in an attitude of forgiveness, you can forgive me when I step on your toes. And I can forgive you for being a hardhead. How about that? Forgiveness should be embodied. Forgiveness should be practiced. Forgiveness should be the banner over our lives. Because I'm forgiven, I can forgive. Because I've been forgiven much, I can forgive little. Think about what God has done for you through His Son, Jesus Christ. How much He has already forgiven you for. How much you have to be thankful for. Then how in the world can you ever say to anyone, I will not forgive you? This is a strong statement, but you need to hear it. If you choose not to forgive, you're closing the door to your access to God. You're shutting him off and you're shutting him out. You're building a wall that he won't come through if you choose not to forgive. There is power in the name of Jesus, and it's a power that enables us to live in a spirit of forgiveness rather than a spirit of offense. Oh, come on, church, don't let the culture affect you. Don't let the culture poison you. Don't let the culture influence your thinking to the place where you think it's okay because of what they did. This is what I'm going to do. No, the Word teaches us to forgive. 
I encourage you to practice the Word of God. Let the power in the name of Jesus begin to flow through your life and be reflected in you. What else should that reflection look like? It should look like the love of Jesus Christ. Come on now, we need to understand Jesus loves everybody. He loves the rich, he loves the poor, he loves the pretty, he loves the ugly, and I said amen to that. He loves those of us who are educated and not educated. He loves those that are successful and those that are an absolute bust. He loves those that live in mansions and those that live on the street. He loves those who have plenty and those who don't have enough. It doesn't matter who you are or where you came from. It doesn't matter the country of your birth, the language that you speak, the color of your skin. Jesus loves every single one of us. And if he loves us, then we should love one another. What did he say? The greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body. But he didn't stop there, did he? And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For upon these two hang all the law and all the prophets. You see, we, under, we can come to the place when we identify with Christ and name his name that he enables us to love anyone and everyone at any time. Sometimes it's difficult, I'll grant you that. Sometimes it's easier to love some folks than others, I'll grant you that. But it enables us to move beyond what's natural and embrace a supernatural aspect of God's love that's displayed through our life every day. You know, I love what's happening here every Wednesday morning. Several hundred families are being fed with our partnership with Good Samaritan and Farm Share and, and uh, Second Harvest. They're receiving food at no cost. They're not denigrated. They're not talked down to. They're not made to feel badly because they're coming and they need food. But rather, they're shared with the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. They leave encouraged. I stand out there and I see smiles on faces. I hear, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you're doing for our family. Oh, come on, folks. The love of God has feet. The love of God has hands. The love of God is action. It's not just a nice little sermon. It's you and I putting to practice every day. The love of God. We need to begin loving those around us. Caring for those near to us. And I believe that when we identify with Christ, we begin to reflect who he is. What did Jesus say in Luke 19, 10? He said, the Son of Man came not to seek and to save, excuse me, the Son of Man came not to serve, but to be served and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, that's the key in the church we've got to learn again. I'm the pastor. You wait on me. I'm not doing anything for you. I've got a title in the church. Don't expect me to sweep the floor. You want me to drive the van and pick up those nasty, ratty kids? You must be kidding me. That's way below my pay grade. Oh, come on, church. If we understand that he came to serve, he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many, it changes the way we look at what God asks us to do. See, when we begin to identify with Christ and he is reflected through us, then there's nothing beneath us. Nothing beneath us. It doesn't matter what the need may be. We're not standing there waiting for someone else or delegating it to someone less important. We're stepping up and say, God, use me. God, if you can use anyone, use me. God, if you can use anyone, use me. And a true servant's heart is born innocent through us. When we understand we're called to serve because we identify with Jesus Christ. We identify with who he is. 
So his, his new name connects us with a new identity. Second Peter, I love this scripture, excuse me, First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Peter said, but you are a chosen generation. Who? Those who've identified with Christ. Those who've named his name. Those who reflect his identity. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I love this one. His own special people. Oh, come on. When you're feeling down on yourself, you need to crack open the Bible and read these verses one more time. You're special to God. You're special to God. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Who have not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. I am so glad when we identify with him, he changes who we are. Connects us to that identity. We're his ambassadors. The word ambassadors literally means resident representative. Let me say that one more time. Ambassador literally means resident representative. That means that you live here for one reason, and that's to represent Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How do you do that? You do it through love and obedience and forgiveness and faithfulness to Him. We started with John 14 and read those two verses of Scripture where He said, and if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Often we stop there. Often we jump to the miracles and the power that's in the name of Jesus. But if you'll read John 14, 12 through 30, and that's your assignment this afternoon, read those verses. This is what you're going to notice. You're going to notice that the relationship with Jesus causes us to live in peace. The relationship with Jesus causes us to live in joy. The relationship with Jesus causes us to walk in obedience to his word and to his command. Oh, we have gotten so wrapped up and tied up in the miracles of God that we have forgotten the greatest miracle is that he takes a sinner like me. He pulls out the junk. He pulls out the natural inclinations and he imparts into me peace which the world cannot understand. Joy that is unspeakable and he gives me life that is everlasting. Somebody needs to get that in their spirit today. You see, relationship with Christ always brings obedience. I love my wife. Come here, Yvonne. I love her to death. We've been married almost 10 years. But you know what? When we got married, I found that she had this very annoying pastime. She loved them all. She wanted to go shopping all the time. I hate them all. I detest going there. But she loves it. And you take me to the mall, and if she walks away, I'm lost. I mean, if you want to get rid of me, take me to the mall and leave me there. I'll never find my way out. I promise you, that's true. But because I love her, I've learned to love going shopping with her. I've learned to love doing what makes her happy. But it's not just a one-way street. When we got married, I loved the Oklahoma Sooners. She couldn't have cared less about football, but over the 10 years, she learned to love the Oklahoma Sooners. I love to bird hunt, to quail and pheasant hunt. She had never been hunting in her life, but over time, she's learned to love to pheasant and bird hunt with me. Why? Because that relationship of love causes us to do something for that person that is unnatural causes us to step out of that comfort zone and allow great things to happen in our heart and in our life. It causes us to do things that are not in our nature. It's not in my nature to go to the mall. Not at all. But because I love that little gal, I'm going to go anytime she wants to go. 
and I'm going to go with a smile, and I'm going to say, I'm going to be praying, God, if she goes into one of those women's stores, could there please be a chair outside the dressing room? Y'all know what I mean? Just let me sit down for a minute. And God, if possible, can I have a Snickers and a Dr. Pepper while we're doing this? Love causes you to do things that are unnatural, that's not a part of your nature. I am so thankful for the new nature we have in Jesus Christ. Because I love him, I do something to please him. We need to get that connection in our hearts and in our lives. Bringing this thing to a close this morning. We need to understand that when we identify with Jesus Christ, we accept his nature. And then we begin to reflect his nature to those around us. It's reflected through our willingness to forgive. It's reflected through our attitude of always loving. And it's reflected through our desire to serve someone who needs to know there's a God in the heaven who loves you and gave himself for you. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this room this morning. The worship team is coming back and I'm going to have them sing that song that we entered our worship with. But before they come and begin to sing, let me ask you a question. Are you here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You can't imagine the life I've described this morning. A life of forgiveness, a life of love, a life of service. You can't even imagine that it's outside your wheelhouse. But there's something inside of you today that's saying, that's what I need. That's what I want. You see, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has put eternity in our hearts. Every one of us have a need to know God, a need to worship Him, a need to live for Him. And perhaps you're here this morning and you've never asked the Lord, Jesus Christ, to come into your heart and your life, forgive you of your sins, to change and transform you. But today's your day. Today's your day to do something that's unnatural, to bring a supernatural result in you. Right where you sat, that's you. Would you slip up your hand and say, pray for me this morning. I need Jesus in my heart and in my life. Yes, yes, yes. Others? Others across this room. I want Jesus in my heart and my life. Yes, anyone else? Others? As I wait just a moment. Anyone else? You'll slip up your hand and say, that's me. I need Jesus. Yes, sir. Thank you. Someone else? God's talking to you. This is what you need. You need Jesus this morning to transform you and change you, to give you the ability to forgive, the ability to love, the ability to serve, to change your very nature. Just wait another moment. Anyone else, you've raised your hand or you want to raise your hand right now. Stand your feet with me, please. They're coming back. They're going to sing the power that's in the name of Jesus. I want you to sing it out with them. And if you're one of those who slipped up your hand, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to respond to you today. And I would love for you to step out from where you're at and just meet me right here, and we're going to pray together. So from the risers on the back and the front in each section, if you slipped up your hand, just step out as they begin to come. Meet me right down here. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to do a great thing, a new thing. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Come right on. Anyone else? Come on. Several raise their hand. Join these. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right on down here. Anyone else? That's me. I need God to do something in my life. David and Corinne, if you're here, would you join me, please? As they begin to sing, I'm going to pray with these individuals. God's going to do something in their heart and in their life right now. They'll be transformed and changed by the power of Jesus' name. If you want to join them, come on. We're not, we're not uh, closing the door. It's wide open for you today. Tom, sing it out. Come on, would you?
Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida. A multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com. <laughs> 